0: This is Ozarks at Large for Wednesday, April 12th, 2023. I'm Kyle Kellums. Thank you
1: for joining us today. I'm Matthew Moore. Ahead, the work of Mary Church Terrell, who was an activist for racial equality and women's suffrage in the late 19th and early 20th centuries. Dr. Cree Banton talked with Dr. Allison Parker about Parker's profile of Terrell, Unceasing Militant, for the latest episode of our podcast, Undisciplined. We'll hear an excerpt from the discussion in our second half hour.
0: First... Electric utility grid-tied domestic and business solar customers that generate energy from the sun store excess energy into the electric grid. Such grid-tied solar producers in Arkansas receive retail net metering credits for that power. But as Ozarks at Large's Jacqueline Froelich reports, a new law supported by electric utilities and passed by the Arkansas legislature will soon reduce net metering credit rates.
2: Surplus solar energy produced by rooftop and ground solar panels traditionally was stored in banks of batteries on site. Today, a majority of households and business solar systems in Arkansas store excess power generation on local utility grids. How that works is that local utility companies install special meters on home and business power poles, which spin backwards, accounting for excess solar energy transmitted into the grid. Meters spin forward when that energy is consumed. Currently, Arkansas Electric Utilities are required to give grid-tied solar producers retail market credits, for exported solar energy under strict state net metering laws. But that's about to change.
3: It's our job to set policy.
2: That's Senator Jonathan Desmang, a Republican from Beebe, speaking to members of the Arkansas Senate on March 7th about a bill he sponsored to cut the state's net metering rates.
3: I've heard that this is going to shut down the solar industry in Arkansas. I assure you, I've looked at the numbers.
2: Dismang testified that it's time for household and business solar producers to pay their fair share to help maintain electric grids, cited as cost-shifting.
3: Uh, so, what the bill does, it simply lays out two prospective paths for utilities to follow in regards to net metering. First, they're able to do two-way billing, or, and second, a grid charge. Two-way billing works probably just as you think it would. Behind their meter, you're able to use whatever you want to use. If you produce less than you need, then you buy at retail just like your neighbor does. If you produce more than you need—we are mandating, by the way, in this bill that that be purchased at the wholesale average rate for a year.
2: Arkansas State Senator Stephanie Flowers, a Democrat from Pine Bluff, and an attorney examined the state's renewable energy rulemaking after getting a lot of mail from constituents critical of the bill. She found no evidence proving the need to end the state's retail net metering credit system.
4: There has been no evidence presented to the PSC,
5: the Public Service Commission,
2: of any cost shifting.
5: You can say, a company can say, I've got cost shifting.
2: Prove it. Net metering in Arkansas was first approved under the Arkansas Renewable Energy Development Act of 2001 with rules adopted by the Arkansas Public Service Commission, PSC for short, a year later. The Solar Access Act of 2019 legalized a one-to-one net metering rate offering full retail credits for grid-exported power. But last month, on March 16th, The Arkansas Legislature approved a new net metering law, Act 278. Lauren Waldrop is Executive Director of the Arkansas Advanced Energy Association, which counts 100 members, ranging from solar developers, energy efficiency companies, and alternative energy consumers she takes issue with lawmakers for the bill who claim non-solar customers, including low-income Arkansans, unable to invest in solar systems, are subsidizing solar customers who net meter.
6: That's right. That's the cost shift argument. And so the PSC on multiple occasions has requested that cost shift data. In fact, when the law passed a few years ago, Chairman Ted Thomas said, you know, there's potential for a cost shift. And so we're going to we're going to, in the future, either have a grid charge that can help offset that or two-way billing. Well, on multiple occasions, the utilities refused to turn over that data. And so as far as we're concerned, there's not a material cost shift. Solar net metering
2: customers, Waldrip says, are willing to pay a fair share of fixed net metering
6: costs, including customer support and billing. Generally, I would say the bill eliminates any sort of competition and so it essentially makes it to where it's not as feasible for anyone to own solar other than the monopolies.
2: Referring to electric utilities such as Entergy and Arkansas Electric Cooperative Corporation, which support the new law, the current solar net metering law sunsets in late twenty twenty four, Waldrip says So for now, domestic solar net metering customers will continue to receive one-to-one kilowatt-hour credit on their electric bills, the full retail rate,
6: the same rate that utilities
2: charge customers for power.
6: After September of 2024, that's essentially when the one-to-one credit for any new project, so old projects will be grandfathered, they'll receive that rate in those terms. Um, But after that point is when two channel billing comes into effect. And so you will no longer receive the full credit for the value of what you're producing. And the consequence? It's my personal opinion. I think what will happen is we'll see a lot more battery storage because that enables consumers to produce energy and keep it behind the grid. They really don't have a lot of incentive to put it on the grid. And so I'm afraid that that's going to result in the utility monopolies having overbuilt systems because they're not able to take advantage of that net metering uh, power helping to to cut demand. And and unfortunately, ratepayers are going to have to foot the bill for that.
2: Flint Richter is business development executive for Integrity Partners, Northwest Arkansas Field Office in Fayetteville. Integrity specializes in school district as well as municipal and county solar installation. We met beneath the solar array above Integrity south entrance.
7: Yes, so our office here in Fayetteville, as as is our Little Rock office, our solar-powered, this office here was built as a net-zero facility, so it produces as much energy as it uses.
2: We entered the facility into Richter's office, where he spoke on the record as chair of the Arkansas Advanced Energy Foundation. He's a nationally certified solar voltaic professional and former proprietor of Richter Solar Energy. He's installed solar systems for 25 years.
7: The early days were off-grid. It was people that were environmentally conscious. They wanted to live off-grid, or they had bought remote land and wanted to live on that land and needed power. So that was our first experience, and that was that way for a decade or more. And then net metering came along, and I believe in 2006, 2004, somewhere in there, we started doing our first grid-connected systems, and those were enabled by the net metering laws that our state had put in place uh, before that.
2: Richter says he's worked with Swepco Energy and various electric co-ops on net metering installations.
7: We did. We dealt with all the utilities. Um, You know, a lot of the co-ops in the beginning, because a lot of our clients were rural, you know, I think a lot of the decision makers maybe were not so interested in it or not so agreeable with with solar, but, you know, all the linemen and people that we dealt with on a day-to-day basis installing these were always curious and helpful uh, when we came to, to... giving our clients a choice whether to buy energy from the utility or to produce some of their own or both.
2: Richter has installed many electrical net meters on utility power poles for solar households and businesses that on long sunny days will feed a surplus of power into the grid.
7: So when you produce your own energy there are times of the day when energy is not consumed by your home or business and it will be pushed back to the utility. Net metering gives a client the ability to get compensated for that excess energy that goes back to the utility. So net metering um, is different in all states, but it always allows for a client to get some value out of excess energy that's produced by a renewable, typically by a renewable resource.
2: Including wind, geothermal, hydropower, and bioenergy, Richter says Arkansas's progressive net metering law among the best in the country has enabled solar to flourish.
7: Yes, I mean, when you look back, you know, I've been in the industry 25 years, so when you look back, um, panels themselves cost $6 a watt when I started, and now they're, you know, 35, 40 cents a watt. So that lower cost of solar plus the net metering laws that Arkansas currently has. Uh, you know, have really driven the market beyond anything that I'd ever hoped to see. It's been a very exciting time and continues to be for, you know, at least the next year or year and a half.
2: When the new net metering law takes effect.
7: I mean the driving force behind this is that solar makes an incredible amount of economic sense right now. So, you know, it's very cheap. It's the cheapest way to generate electricity. And the utilities, you know, brought this bill forward so they could keep installing solar on their own and remove us as competition.
2: Electric utilities across the country and in Arkansas are investing in clean energy assets, both solar and wind, while slowly phasing out dirty coal and natural gas energy production to meet state and federal renewable energy standards. And with more extreme weather events disrupting regional and local electric grids, Richter says solar is a stable solution.
7: Yes, solar is a very viable and very uh, robust technology so there's no moving parts solar you know it can get covered with snow that you know hurts production of course but um you know rain wind are engineered to take all those external um, effects of the of the climate and you know we'll see more and more solar being installed but um You know, at least in this case, a lot of it is going to be on the utility side and not on the customer side like it has been for the past few years.
2: According to the Solar Energy Industries Association State Spotlight Report for 2022, Arkansas ranks 30th in the nation for total installed solar capacity. The percentage of the state's electricity from solar, however, remains scant, less than 2%, despite our sun-rich climate. Still, new residential solar installations surged last year due to equitable net metering in Arkansas. For now, for Ozarks at Large, I'm Jacqueline Froelich.
1: This is Ozarks
0: at Large. Matthew, your plans for the next 24 hours?
1: Uh, I don't have any, but I hope you've got some ideas for me.
0: Excellent. I do. Uh, Tomorrow night, the season of entertainment at the University of Arkansas Fort Smith continues with the annual spring performance by the Jazz Cats. They'll Do jazz, pop, blues, ballads, etc. This is at 7 p.m. tomorrow night at the Annex at Eastside Baptist Church in Fort Smith. More music. The University of Arkansas Horn's annual spring recital will take place at the Fayetteville Public Library. It's going to be inside the Willard and Pat Walker Room Community Room. I think I put the word room in there too many times. (laughs) Willard and Pat Walker Community Room. That starts at 6 and lasts until 7 tomorrow night. In Harrison at the Historic Lyric Theater in Mm -hmm. downtown have you been to Harrison? No, yeah. All right. Uh, the Harrison High School will present the play, The Election. This is the description. After an embattled student body president resigns in disgrace, Mark Davenport figures he'll cruise to victory in the special election. After all, his only opponent is nerdy Christy Martin, who wants to eliminate football. But when a mysterious super PAC gives her an unlimited budget... Things start to get very ugly. It's a comedy. It's at uh, the Lyric in downtown Harrison. Open tomorrow night. It will run through Sunday. Finally, Candlelight Jazz with Jazz at Lincoln Center at Crystal Bridges in the Great Hall. I couldn't believe this was coming up and I hadn't heard more about it. Mm -hmm. So I had to double check. Yes, the Jazz at Lincoln Center Ensemble will be in the Great Hall at Crystal Bridges. Music from Duke Ellington, Nina Simone. Arkansas-born godmother of rock and roll, sister Rosetta Tharp. Tickets are $48.40 if you remember that ticket. Includes one glass of wine or beer, and it's sold out. Mm. So if you have your tickets, have a good time. That's
8: right. This month for the lunch hour, we're taking it up a notch. We're having the lunch hour at Bike Rack Brewing, located at 801 Southeast 8th Street, Bentonville, Arkansas, hosted by City Sessions, featuring music from Aurora Live and food from Nash Nola. You don't want to miss this month's lunch hour happening at Bike Rack Brewing from noon to one, located at 802 Southeast 8th Street, Bentonville, Arkansas. Food from Nash Nola and music from Aurora Live, hosted by City Sessions. We'll see you there.
5: The KUAF Lunch Hour goes on the road this week. We'll be in Bentonville. For more information, K-U-A-F dot so
6: challenge
4: every day. I don't wake up every day.
0: ahead this hour the University of Arkansas Schola Cantorum is spending nearly the entire spring semester preparing for a single performance
9: Saturday night is a singular entity and then at the end of the semester, Davis will graduate and Karaman will graduate and many others and they'll be replaced with new singers and then next semester's ensemble is inherently changed. It's inherently different and we can't recreate what we have now.
1: The lone performance of Considering Matthew Shepard is Saturday night in the Faulkner Performing Arts Center and we'll talk to performers about the work later on. Ozarks at large. Author, humorist, and NPR
5: contributor David Sedaris returns to Walton Arts Center April 25th to share his personal anecdotes and recent writings with Northwest Arkansas audiences. Sedaris is known for his collection of essays, Calypso, Me Talk Pretty One Day, Santaland Diaries, and more. Tickets at waltonartscenter.org.
1: And support for KUAF comes from Westwood Gardens, featuring locally grown roses, shrubs, trees, and more. Garden starts are available at all four Northwest Arkansas locations. WestwoodGardens.com for more information.
0: Arkansas Governor Sarah Huckabee Sanders has signed two bills into law requiring people convicted of some violent crimes to serve longer sentences. The Protect Arkansas Act will enact harsher penalties for certain offenses in addition to adding new prison beds. The Fentanyl Enforcement and Accountability Act would allow prosecutors to charge drug dealers with death by delivery if a drug they sold caused the death of another person. The governor explained her rationale for the bill during an event at Arkansas State Police Headquarters yesterday.
10: Since the
4: introduction of the Safer Stronger Arkansas legislative package, I've heard from police and prison
2: personnel from across our state these are the people on the ground every day trying to keep our streets safe from violent criminals. And frankly, they've been struggling. They see the problems that riddle our prisons, our criminal justice system, and our law enforcement programs.
1: Arkansas Department of Corrections Secretary Joe Profurry said the department plans to add around 500 more prison beds to existing infrastructure, then build a new prison over the next 36 months. He also hoped to use some of the money in the bill to reform prisoners. What we believe in is time well spent. We want those programs to be meaningful and translate into cognitive restructuring and cognitive behavior change, as well as potential opportunities for career paths for these individuals that were formerly on a criminal career path and turning them into productive citizens
0: within our community, tax paying citizens with our community. The bill received backlash from Democrats in the legis- legislature who worried little data existed proving that longer criminal sentences decrease crime rates.
1: A public reception for the Fayetteville School District's new superintendent will take place on Monday. Dr. John Mulford will replace retiring superintendent John L. Colbert. Monday's reception, open to the public, will take place in the event center at the Fayetteville Public Library from 4 to 6.
0: The Colombian consulate in Houston is setting up a mobile office in Springdale this weekend. Dinah Gill is a Spanish instructor at Northwest Arkansas Community College and a Colombian citizen. She says this visit is the result of longtime community efforts.
10: You know, many Colombian citizens individually trying to push the Houston consulate to come to our area. So it's been like almost a decade of people pushing and pushing until we finally made it.
1: She says over the past few decades, many Colombians seeking work, asylum, or attending the University of Arkansas have moved to the region, and she estimates the population is now in the hundreds. Houston, at 522 miles away, is the closest consulate location.
10: Most people, when they have to run errands, like passports, IDs, they have to travel far away. And that is an inconvenience. And also it's an inconvenience for our democracy because for voting, if you want to vote for elections, you have to go very far away. Like in the past election, a group of friends and I went all the way to Oklahoma City like three times. So, yes, it is very important to have a Colombian consulate in our area.
0: The temporary site will be open at the Jones Center in Springdale from April 14th through the 16th. Available services include issuing passports, identity cards, citizenship cards, birth certificates, travel permits, and more. Gil says representatives from the
10: consulate will also hold a public meeting Friday evening at 6. But it is very, very important that people also come to join us in the meeting with the consul on Friday. Because that's going to be the opportunity for our citizens to be in touch with the consul and ask all kinds of questions. So that's going to be on Friday, uh, April 14th at the Jones Center for Families. There is going to be signs all over the place so people are not going to get lost.
0: For information and appointments, visit the online portal at houston.consolado.gov.co.
1: Although people might not see Southwestern Electric Power Company crews working on a project to keep up with development in northwest Arkansas, work began recently behind the scenes. Ozarks at Large's Anna Pope reports that the project covers about 3.2 miles and is expected to continue through the end of the year. The Southwestern Electric Power Company is replacing 90 poles, lines, or upgrading primary conductors in Farmington and Prairie Grove to meet future demands. Temporary lane closures are possible, according to the company's press release. Chantel Jordan, a company corporate communications representative, says it's difficult to quantify how many people the project will serve because of the area's growth.
4: But what what it will allow us in this circuit upgrade, it'll allow us to provide additional support to the growing area. So since there are a lot of subdivisions being planned in that area, this Larger conductors will allow us to support that and for future growth in that area.
1: The power company provides electricity to about 126,000 people in western Arkansas. The project starts on Highway 170 at the intersection of Clyde Carnes Road and goes south to the Highway 62 intersection. For Ozarks at Large and the Bruce and Ann Applegate News Studio One, I'm Anna Pope.
0: The Northwest Arkansas Economic Development District will host a Workforce Innovation and Opportunity Act orientation April 12th and 26th and again May 10th and 24th. The orientations are designed to help job seekers access employment, education, training, and support services to succeed in the labor market and to match employers with skilled workers they need to compete in the global economy. Out-of-school youth, dislocated workers, families with minor children, and unemployed individuals qualify for training. Orientations are taking place at the Fayetteville Workforce Center at 2153 East Joyce Boulevard in Fayetteville. You can search Arkansas Workforce Center for more details or to register.
1: The fifth-ranked Arkansas Razorbacks defeated the Little Rock Trojans 21-5. to That was baseball, by the way. Yeah. Last night at Baum Stadium. It's the most runs the Razorbacks have scored in a game this year. The two teams are playing again today. Technically, it was a come-from-behind win. That's <laughs> true, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, the, the Trojans scored two in the top of the first. That's right. And uh, took them a while to score again. The 11th-ranked Razorback softball team lost to Central Arkansas and Conway last night, 4-0. Arkansas will host Alabama-Birmingham for a three-game series beginning Friday night.
0: And the Arkansas women's golf team opening play at the SEC tournament in Birmingham, Alabama today. Arkansas enters play ranked 35th in the nation by golf week. Eight of the SEC women's teams are ranked in the top 25. Caldwell, the director of the Scola Cantorum at the University of Arkansas and an associate professor in the Department of Music, has been eager to share Craig Hella Johnson's Considering Matthew Shepard, a libretto, since he first performed in Baton Rouge in 2017, a year after it was written. The piece is inspired by the life and murder of Shepard. He was a student at the University of Wyoming who was kidnapped, beaten, and left to die tied to a fence. Shepard was gay, and his torture and murder brought attention to efforts to create hate crime laws. The Scola Cantorum's performance is Saturday night in the Faulkner Center on campus and we recently invited Caldwell to our studios. Joining him were student performers Karamam Alcine, Davis Vaughn, and Clayton Davis. Stephen Caldwell says considering Matthew Shepard is a major American work.
9: At that time I heard the work and I just thought you know this is something I absolutely want to conduct someday. This is something I absolutely want to teach students someday and so from then it was just a matter of waiting Uh, For the right time, I would have done this a lot earlier, but uh, we all know what happened in March of 2020, and so probably this would have come up either fall of 2020 or spring of 2021 on a natural progression of events for the choir. Um, But uh, once the pandemic shut everything down, we were shut down for 2021, and then largely for 21-22, we started to come out of of things in um, in spring of 22, and this is our first year that we're really. We'll call it back to normal and back at full forces. And so in that first year, this was the year that it was it was time to tackle this work because uh, it's been on my radar for for years and one that I would have done sooner apart from the pandemic shutdown. What are the challenges musically, theatrically with this work? Uh, the biggest challenge musically is that it's not one style. Every movement is in its own, its own style. There is a country ballad. Um, there's a gospel ballad. There's some blues in it. Um, there's what we would some some of what we would call some traditional American choral music. Um, there's a, a hymn at the end in the style of early American shape note singing. There's a German chorale in it. There are movements that are based upon and reflect movements from the Passions of Johann Sebastian Bach. And so you take all of that in its own in its own. In its totality, what you realize is that it's it's not just teaching one thing. We're teaching 30 things all at the same time. And the students have to go from movement to movement to movement and change their vocal stylings and change how they perform so that each movement sounds in and of itself like the style it's mimicking. So that's the hardest, uh, the hardest part musically. Uh, theatrically, it's a long song. Right? It's about an hour and 45 minutes long, and there's no intermission. And so it's just physically it's a long time to stand, it's a long time to stay involved, and because the thematic material is so heavy, it's it's taxing on the on the brain and on the psyche and on the emotions to stay in that emotional space for that long as well.
0: conversations with you and your fellow performers about this and about the emotional heft and potential toil it could take rehearsing it? I
11: don't think with other performers, but with definitely with my friends, I was educating them about the topic because a lot of them did not know as well. And I was telling them how gut-wrenching it was just to even hear about the story and like trying to process all of that while as well learning the notes and everything. Um
6: but I feel like it's something we need to talk about.
12: Yeah. Um, I remember during the first week of classes, I was speaking with one of my fellow um, basses in the bass section. And, you know, the week before, we had just read. I Individually, we would each read through and kind of skimmed and, and seen some of the subject matter of the music. And we got to rehearsals and we started rehearsing. And I think the second that the first rehearsal was done, him and I turn to each other and we realize kind of how deeply impactful this is going to be. And we say, we're in for a crazy semester, mm-hmm. but, you know, we're strapped in. We're going to make this happen.
0: Having only read and not heard the piece, there are parts that, there's one part where, I th- where we hear what Matthew has written in his journal, what he loves. And it's just so basic and what we all might write, right? I love pasta. I love Wyoming. I just, and it's, it's, it's gut-wrenching. And I wonder what is it like to sing those words of, of someone who just wanted to live?
11: Um, When I first saw those words, I was like, yeah, I love Europe too. I love, I love to cook. I love doing all that stuff. And that made me realize, okay, this can happen to like anyone, you know? but it specifically happened to him. Um, It really put things into perspective for me. Um, These past couple days, I've been thinking about, like, the fact that that a lot of this movement is just about humanizing this person. And it just, like... (laughs) I just have kind of realized, like, it's um kind of sad that that's that that that's the purpose is that we have to we have to highlight the 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 broader message of this is that he was a person and it's sad that that that's where we are that 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 we have to that we have to humanize this person who was who was murdered and say and kind of give that message of he was a,
12: a human just like you yeah it it's definitely an extremely Um, relatable uh, 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 assortment of text within it. I love Jeopardy. I love all of these different Mm -hmm. things that he loves. I love pasta. Um, And I think also it's a little tragic because it's so happy. It's one of the most viscerally joyful pieces of uh, music throughout the entire thing And it's a little bit of a celebration of life for him. Um, Before, you know, the choir as we rehearse this, we know that we're about to get into some really deep stuff in a little bit. And so singing something that's so joyful Mm -hmm. with that knowledge that you're about to get to that point that is... uh, Less joyful. (laughs) Less joyful is... um, It's kind of an interesting thing to to have in your mind while you're singing through it.
0: I'm sure there are going to be people hearing this thinking, "Oh my gosh, this is so important. This is so intriguing. This sounds wonderful." Ooh, I don't know. I don't know if I can do it.
9: We've experienced that already. Um, we had a number of students who decided that they couldn't sing the work, uh, and so took the semester off uh, as a result. Um, we've had a, a couple of students who have come to me to tell, let me know that they have family members who have already told them that they don't intend to. Uh, they don't intend to attend the concert. Um, and so we know that that is is part of the process, and and I'm not programming this with any particular agenda. Uh, I'm not programming this um, to to make a point. I'm programming this because it's a it's a major American work by a major American composer about a specifically American story. Uh, Matthew Shepard's ashes are interred at the National Cathedral in Washington D.C. Um, and in, I can't think of anything more American than that honor right there. Uh, so it's a story about us, and so it's it's worthy of performance. It's a story worthy of telling, and then it's our job to present it honestly, and it's our job to present it authentically, and then allow the audience to uh, to decide for themselves whether or not they would like to hear it in a specific way, whether to use text from the um, from the work itself, whether they will be open to hear a story and just open themselves up to hear that story and reserve any possible judgment for a later time. it's been to, to, to work on a to work in this space for a, for entirety of a semester i think one of the one of the drawbacks is that we only get to perform it once um, and sometimes in theatrical runs you know you, you'll rehearse for a month or two but then you have 8 10 12 performances theater squared here in town they'll have 30 40 50 performances and extend if, yeah, you and know extend, the ticket sales right? yeah and so you get the you get the long-term payoff of having learned it in, uh, largely in collegiate music making, in educational music making, we get to do it once. All of the forces that you need, all of the money for the musicians, the hall rental, um, the scheduling, the students who have packed schedules as well, we just can't do eight performances of it. And so we get to perform it once on April 15th at 7.30 p.m. in the Faulkner Center. And that one moment is going to be the chance for the students to express the total emotion of the piece and to enjoy the performance of that piece and to show the work of an entirety of a semester. And then it'll be over. And so what I hope is that the audience in that, in that night appreciates that they are there for that one fleeting glimpse of this thing, one night only, one chance, for us to perform it, one chance for the audience to hear it, one chance for the community to to come around a singular idea. I mean, it's a bit – well, it's not a bit of
0: an exaggeration. It's a once-in-a-lifetime gathering of audience, of artists, of crew.
9: Mm-hmm. And the, certainly the students in this ensemble, uh, they won't perform this again with this ensemble. I mean, this is their one chance to do it. This will – be performed quite often, I would imagine. It's entering now the, the American repertory. Um, there is a number of performances nationwide every year of this piece as it's becoming increasingly more known, increasingly popular. Um, so as these students graduate and they go on to their singing careers in whichever city they move to in whatever country they move to, um, it is very likely that they will have an opportunity to sing this piece again with a, another uh, with another group. But they'll never get to do it with the same ensemble again. The tw- spring 2023 Schola Cantorum is a singular entity, and then at the end of the semester, Davis will graduate, and Karaman will graduate, and many others, and they'll be replaced with new singers, and then next semester's ensemble is inherently changed. It's inherently different, and we can't recreate what we have now.
0: It reminds me of when you've seen a Mandela created by monks, a beautiful Sam Mandela that they spend a week or a month on, and then
9: and then they blow it away, and it never exists again. But having seen it makes you a better person.
12: I think that's part of the beauty of music making that we do as musicians is that it is a little bit finite. The performances that we give are largely meant to be experienced by the audiences that are present for it, not on YouTube afterwards, not anything like this. Whereas you know, you go to an art gallery and those paintings have stayed the same for centuries, some of them. And um, this piece of music, every individual music that we sing of it, or any every individual movement that we sing of it is going to be even slightly different from every other time that we've ever rehearsed it. And I think there's beauty in that. I think there's beauty in the the fleetingness of the music that we perform i
11: walk i i came to audition for the Scola cantorum and um Dr caldwell handed me the um the score and i was just i kind of i kind of just like sat there and stared at it for a while um there's so much there's so much uh there's so much pain attached to. To um, the gay experience, as, as, um, especially in the South. Um, there, I mean, there's there's nothing there's nothing more painful than um, than rejection from your from your from your family, from your friends, um, and. Yeah, I mean, I just think that this, it's it's an incredibly important piece of music. It's, um, and yeah, I'm very, I'm really appreciative of of. I'm so glad that I'm you know came in in this semester and, I get to I get to honor, Matthew Shepard. Um, I don't. Yeah, it's just it, that. I think that's all I have to say.
0: from Schola Cantorum performers Clayton Davis, Karen Amalcine, and Davis Vaughn, all students at the University of Arkansas, and the director of the Schola Cantorum, Dr. Stephen Caldwell. The performance of Considering Matthew Shepard by Craig Hella-Johnson is Saturday night at 7.30 at the Faulkner Performing Arts Center on the University of Arkansas campus. Fayetteville Public Television offers classes in video production
5: plus accessibility to equipment and broadcast channels to share your videos with a viewing audience. Serving all residents of Washington and Benton County. Fayetteville Public Television can help people turn video ideas into reality. FAYPublic.tv for more information. The Momentary in Bentonville invites guests to a keynote dinner and lecture with Chef Nico Albert, founder and owner of Burning Cedar Sovereign Wellness, Saturday, April 15th. The evening features a three-course dinner while learning about Burning Cedar's work addressing challenges facing indigenous communities by reestablishing ancestral foodways. Tickets
1: and information at themomentary.org. Every other Wednesday, we bring you an excerpt from the podcast Undisciplined. The show is a partnership between Ozarks at Large, KUAF Public Radio, and the African and African American Studies program at the University of Arkansas, and hosted by the program's director, Dr. Karee Banton. Today, we hear part of a conversation with Dr. Allison Parker, a history professor at the University of Delaware, who has recently written a book on a black woman activist, Mary Church Terrell. We pick up the conversation where Dr. Parker is describing the inspiration behind the title of her book, which comes from Paul Robeson, a legendary African-American singer and activist.
8: And when she died, they had worked closely together. And when she died in his eulogy for her, he called her an unceasing militant in the black freedom struggle. Wow. There is no greater praise. Mm
4: -hmm. Exactly. No greater (laughs) praise from no better person. (laughs)
8: <laughs> so that, to me, was an aha moment. And it really made me think about the question of this notion of unceasing militant and what it means to be able to carry on an activist career over many, many decades. And one of the things that I wanted to communicate in this book was for young people who are thinking about activism and social activism, and especially after George Floyd's murder and the summer uprisings and then this kind of reawakening of a larger conversation about anti-racism in America, I wanted people to be able to think and be clear about the fact that it's not about one summer of protest or one season, but that actually it has to be pretty sustained we be we who believe in freedom must not rest until it comes exactly and so one of the things that i really appreciate are other historians who've done similar kinds of work, like Jean Theo Harris's book on Rosa Parks, mm-hmm. where she says it, you know, her career as an activist does not start when she sits down. Right. right? She had been working to fight against white male attacks against black women in the South. She had been trying to get people prosecuted, uh, white men prosecuted for rape and murder on those kinds of cases. She was an executive secretary, meaning like she had an elected position in the NAACP. She was an important activist before all of that happened. So the kind of myth that kids, I hope, don't get anymore in the classes, but used to get, which was, oh, it was this tired old lady, you know, who she was a seamstress and she was tired and she just decided she had had enough and she just wasn't (laughs) going to get up. You know, I, I tell people, well, she was 43. Wow. I don't think that's that old. <laughs> Neither do I. I'm not that far away from that. <laughs> exactly. And I, I am, but in the opposite direction. And I don't think I'm old. So you know, so, <laughs> But I think it's important to realize that, you know, when she died, Rosa Parks was actually, I can't remember if she was in her 90s, but she was old when she died. But she sure as heck was not old when uh, she was uh, making a decision to sit. And so those are the kinds of things that I think we need to know more about. And so in some ways, Mary Church Terrell is an excellent example of a person who is persistent in her activism, but also willing to try multiple kinds of activism, usually all in the same year, week, day. Mm -hmm. So she didn't change as much as people say she did. I don't think she became radical in her old age. I think she was radical at the beginning, but that people have missed that radicalism in the story.
1: Dr. Parker, as someone who is not a historian in any way, shape or form, it's interesting to me why there are certain names that people know that like, you know, we know Rosa Parks's name, we know certain people's names. Why don't we know Mary Church Terrell's name? And why don't we learn that in like public education?
8: We can only have two at one time. (laughs) (laughs) Right. (laughs) To some degree, that's really true, right? What's the little sidebar that we have space for, right? But I think one of the questions that I've always wondered about is uh, thinking about her contemporary Ida B. Wells. That's the best example. Uh, And part of me thinks that this is in part due to the fact that black women's history is still relatively young as a field. It really only developed in the 1970s and in the 80s, in any significant, uh, sustained way. And Black women who were doing that work were looking for contemporary heroes, right? Role models who they felt spoke to them today. And I think that Ida B. Wells's clear and slightly more open defiance was appealing. And Mary Church Terrell, especially uh, in the 19th century when she's the head of the National Association of Colored Women is portrayed as someone who's so elite and so out of touch with the masses that we can't even really see her as a role model for other black women. Because she's so unattainable? Yeah, well, because, you know, she's one of the only Black women with a college education Mm. and with a master's degree, even. She spoke five languages. She was the head of the Board of Education in D.C., the first—I'm not the head. She was on the Board of Education, and she was the first Black woman to be in that position. And— the slogan of the National Association of Colored Women, which she created the name of, was lifting as we climb. Yes, And so that is controversial because there's a sense that it implies lifting other people who are lower than you. But in fact, she was born enslaved. (laughs) So she's talking about this from her own personal experience. And, you know, you raised Serena Williams as an example. And I actually think that this is an important moment to talk about something about Mary Church Terrell that I found that really helped me, I think, Dr. Batten shift the story, right? Mm -hmm. And that's this question of how much is she like other women?
4: Wow. And
8: I think that it's over the subject of Black women's maternal health and reproduction that you can really see this playing out. Because she had, over the course of the late 1890s, when she was leading all these major organizations and doing all this work, she had a late-term miscarriage, she had a stillbirth, and she had the death of a baby who was born alive but died in an improvised incubator in a segregated hospital in Washington, D.C. Wow. Right? The most elite woman around can't get the medical care. Just like Serena. My point exactly. (laughs) Right? Wow. So there are these connections that make me be able to say that our understanding of who she was is not what we think. What does she do when once she experiences all of Oh, my goodness. I can't even, you know, all of those hardship concerning childbirth and fertility and all of that kind of stuff. How does she turn that into activism? Right. Well, you're exactly right. That's exactly what she did. Right. Because she was really depressed and it was extremely uh, hard on her. But one of the things that she figured out is that this was something that she could help with. And so she realized that Black women, more than anybody else, because they worked outside of the home more than any other women did, needed daycares, nursery care, kindergartens. There were kindergartens, but they were only for white children. And so part of her idea was let's help the children who do survive to survive and thrive Mm -hmm. by creating all of these different kinds of daycare options, and then schooling options. And then she also advocated, because she had an instinctive sense of this. Now there's scientific evidence to back it up. But she believed that if Black women became nurses and even doctors, although that was a little more unattainable, But if they became nurses, they would be able to help other black women when they were having health emergencies. And she believed their health care situations would be improved by care of people who cared about them. And we know now that that is in fact the case.
1: You can hear the entirety of that conversation today by subscribing to Undisciplined wherever you get your podcasts. Sona, the Symphony of Northwest Arkansas, concludes its season
5: Saturday, April 29th at Walton Arts Center with Evoking Folklore. Performing works by Jared Tate, Manuel DeFala, and Aaron Copeland, each a storytelling of folklore. From traditional Spanish stories to Chickasaw Nation tales and classic Americana. Tickets at sonamusic.org.
0: And support for KUAF comes from Westwood Gardens, featuring locally grown annuals and perennials, trees, shrubs, and more. Garden starts are available at all four Westwood Garden locations in northwest Arkansas. Westwoodgardens.com for more information.
1: Tomorrow on Ozarks at Large, Pickleball. More northwest Arkansas cities are devoting space and money to the activity as the sport continues to grow in popularity.
8: The demand for pickleball was crazy. Those courts were packed constantly, especially on a beautiful day.
0: That's tomorrow on Ozarks at Large at noon and 7 p.m. on 91.3 KUAF. And you can always hear stories and share them with others by going to OzarksAtLarge.com.
2: Phone, keys, wallet, but are you forgetting something? Maybe add this to your morning reminder. Phone, keys, wallet, NPR news. Morning Edition is here for you every weekday to keep you up to date on the world around you. Don't forget Morning Edition. Start your weekdays with us.
0: Morning Edition tomorrow and every weekday morning from 5 until 9
1: on 91.3 KUAF. While you're on KUAF, you can go to KUAF.com and search for The R Word. It's a podcast that we do in collaboration with host Lowell Taylor. On Saturday, April 15th from 2 to 3.30 p.m. at the Fayetteville Public Library, we'll be having a book discussion with the author Greg Thompson about his book, Reparations, A Christian Call for Repentance and Repair. Again, that's Saturday, April 15th from 2 to 3.30 at the Fayetteville Public Library. Free,
0: open to the public.
1: Absolutely. You can find out more information and RSVP at reparationsnownwa.com.
12: Erica Westerman is a professor of biological sciences at the U of A. An entomologist, her research focuses on understanding how organisms perceive and interact with their
9: environment and how variations in these interactions facilitate diversity. A recent grant will support her research on the role of genetics and ambient light in shaping the visual sensitivity and behavior of butterflies.
2: I use butterflies to understand behavior because butterflies, I just really think, are the best group of animals to work with. They're incredibly speciose, so many species... The Lepidoptera, which is butterflies and moths, are second only to beetles in terms of number of species. And when I started my PhD, I got the opportunity to kind of accidentally start working with butterflies and just completely fell in love with the system.
9: You can hear more in the latest edition of Short Talks from the Hill, a research podcast from the University of Arkansas. Listen at kuaf.com at arkansaresearch.uark.edu
1: or wherever you get your podcasts. This is 91.3 KUAF. Fayetteville, Fort Smith, Bella Vista, and Gentry. KUAF is a listener-supported service of the School of Journalism and Strategic Media at the University of Arkansas.
0: Contributors today included Jacqueline Froelich, Anna Pope, and Dr. Corey Banton. Daniel Carruth provided us with the information and sound regarding the Colombian Consulate at the Jones Center for... Uh, The weekend in Springdale. Additional material today provided by the news team at KUAR. Our theme is written and performed by Daryl Sean. Our membership director at KUAF is Brett Ratliff. Matthew produced today's show in the Bruce and Ann Applegate News Studio 2. I'm Kyle Kellams. I'm Matthew Moore. We'll be back with you tomorrow at noon and 7 with a brand new daily edition of Ozarks at Large. Your story about the growing, continually growing uh, popularity pickleball will be there. Uh, Leo Ribe will have a new edition of Sound Perimeter. Timothy Dennis and I will talk about live music on what looks like it's going to be a beautiful spring uh, weekend. And there's more, more than that.
1: And if you ever miss it, you can find it at ozarksatlarge.com. Find all of our stories there. From the Carver Center for Public Radio, thanks for listening.